see you guys. Well, good evening, and God bless you all. How is everybody doing tonight? Good? Better than we deserve? Yeah, amen. I feel the same way. We'll open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 4, please. 1 Samuel chapter 4. And for those at home, good evening. Glad you're joining us online. We love you and miss you and hope you'll come in soon because we miss seeing you. So 1 Samuel chapter 4, you know, begin to reflect on the culmination of chapter 3 and Samuel's first prophecy that he received. I mean, this young lad, 12 years old, such a heavy word coming to him. You know, his, I don't know, teacher, you know, you think of Eli teaching him Hebrew and teaching him, you know, all those things as he was growing up, three years old, he left his mother, probably three or four, his mother would come up and visit him. But he was in Hebrew school, he was learning the Old Testament, the Torah, the Pentateuch at this point, he's just going through and he's, and then he gets this prophecy and the Lord speaks to him. I pray that we're all like Samuels. You know, yes, Lord, I'm listening, right? And then he turns around and he gets a word from God that the man he loves and adores, his life is coming to an end and his son's lives because of their sin and disobedience. Can you imagine little Samuel looking up to Eli as he goes to explain this to him? You know, this is heavy stuff, man, heavy stuff. Let's pray and get into this chapter tonight. Father, as you over just heard, I, I, Lord, I pray we're all little Samuels, Lord, at heart, that we all are willing to hear you, God. We pray for revelation, Lord. We pray you'd give us words, and we know you've given us your word, Holy Lord, but that you would give us a word for the days we're living. God, I, I think back to uh, Lord 9-11 and how the very fellowship I was in Lord, you spoke to a child and you warned him and gave him a vision of what would happen in 9-11. And I know even Pastor Joe Fo, she was in another country, Lord, and you... And actually, I think he was in another state, God. Let me be correct. I think he was in California and you spoke to him as well. And so, God, you've always been willing to speak to your people if they have an ear to hear them. Hear you, Lord, excuse me. May we have eyes to see and hear. Let us hear, pour out prophetic utterances, Lord, into our hearts to know how to best serve you and live in the days that you've called us to live with full security, hope, redeeming time, Lord, because the days are evil. Thank you, God, that you have called us out of it once in darkness, but now into marvelous light. Praise you, Jesus, for that. Thank you for your love, Lord. Speak to our hearts tonight. We, your people, are listening. We pray and ask this, Jesus Christ, in your holy name, and all God's people prayed. Amen. We need good words of prophecy today, don't we? 
27% of our Bibles are prophecy. We need revelation. God has poured out so much revelation for us in Scripture, the days we're living. We need to be students of our Bible. But I do believe God wants to continue to speak. He says in these last days he'll give dreams and visions to our young people, our old people. God promised to do that, and I believe he will. And I believe he will continue to do that. You heard in my prayer that I can remember Calvary Chapel Finger Lakes where I came from. In the Christian school, they had a young boy. He was asked by the art teacher to do a project and to draw something creative to express what he had been learning in school, what have you. This boy came in with a picture of two buildings, two towers, and he drew little figures jumping out. This was three to four days before 9-11. You can imagine, you know, Pastor Mark Leckie, Pastor Scott, my pastor, you can imagine when they received that initially, that's a sort of disturbing picture. It's not a prophetic picture. It was a, what, what's, what's going on in the home? What's going on in the heart of this boy? And there was great concern. So he, he had taken that picture and he was going to get ready to meet with the parents. You know, we need to talk. What's, what's going on? We love your son. We want to know what's going on. They had scheduled the meeting. Three days later, 9-11 happens. It's on the news. He's watching this. He looks down at that picture. The people jumping out of the building. I was down there that day. You know, I was down there in New York City at that time. I was heading towards those buildings. I was in a taxi cab. I wasn't far away. I saw it snow, so I, I know what it was like. And he looked at that picture, and he realized that was a word from the Lord, that he had spoke prophetically to that young boy. Pastor Joe Fost, many of you know him. He's in Philadelphia. He pastors the church in Philadelphia. I believe he was in California. He was at a, a teaching. You know, he was doing a teaching there. Many men were gathered. And that night, he tells the story, if you've ever heard it. Uh, after a long day of teaching, he was hungry. And that night, they decided to order Chinese food. Why not, right? And so about midnight, he jokes around and says, well, I ate a little more than I should have. And... He had incredible dreams that night of uh, terrible things happening, these buildings shaking, things going on, people jumping, running for their lives. I remember as we were getting on the last train out, I was on the last train coming out, getting out of Grand Central Station, and I was watching people fall to their knees and just cry because their spouse was in that building. I had T-Mobile at the time, one of the few GSM phones. My wife was able to get me on the phone. Parker was nine months old. My wife screaming and crying, come home, because she knew we were supposed to be in that building meeting with a patent attorney that morning. And so, you know, God speaks when his people listen. God gives revelation. And little Samuel here got an incredible prophecy from God. As we read chapter 4 here, the very things that were prophesied to Samuel are going to come true, which is how we know it's a true word from God, a true prophet, a prophet be among us. Let's look at verse 1. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. So again, Samuel's probably around 12 years, maybe a little older. We're going to read, I think it's around verse 15, somewhere like that. It tells us that Eli's 98 years old at this point. Okay, he's an old man at this point, an older man. And as they're 
going to go against Israel. You think of Judges chapter 13. That's the period of time we're in. Samson is being raised up as one of the other judges, Samuel being one of the judges and Samson being the other one. We read Judges 13 together. You saw how that went. Samson was very much engaged in doing what? Lust with the Philistine woman, right? Do you remember her name? Delilah. Delilah, that's right. And he was being led into lust and temptation and sin when this is going on. And yet we see of another judge, Samson, who is pure, holy, and righteous. And so they're going to go against this army. It's quite a large army. And Israel, by the way, had quite a large army at this time. When, when many people and scholars read this account, it almost pictures it as though that Israel was so outnumbered by the Philistines. That's not true. That's not true. Israel had quite a large army. What the difference was is they were trusting in a rabbit's foot. They were trusting in a box. They weren't trusting in God. And when we look at chapter 4, that's really the culmination of what we're to learn at this point as we're reading our scripture, that this ark that they had put all their faith in. Remember, the ark was a representation of the physical presence of God among the nation of Israel. But they were more enamored with the box, with the artifact, than they were the God who dwelt within between the mercy seat. And that can happen today. We can get caught up in the pagan aspect of, you know, traditions. I think of denominations and traditions where, you know, you have to juxtaposition, you have to do different things. Maybe, maybe say a rosary, or maybe you go through different practices in some way to, to, to earn or to work and we ignore the fact that Jesus Christ is right before us, very much alive, desiring relationship. So now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. And in a camp besides Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. So two different areas. What happens is the Philistines, if you know that geography, they get the high ground. If you want to write in your notes, Aphek is a higher Elevation, So they have the high ground, the Philistines. Israel's in the lower ground area. You know typically in military combatants, if you can get a higher ground, you tend to have an advantage. Okay, That's what this is speaking to us. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. So they're all lining up, staggered, as they would have at that time. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines. Now, this would have been a shock. Please notice with me, it doesn't say that they went and prayed, they sought the Lord in this. The Lord had allowed those Philistines to come, if you remember, because of Judges chapter 13, because what had happened? They had begun to do what was right right in their own eyes. They were practicing evil. They were practicing idolatry. They turned away from God. They didn't want to hear God. So God gave them up to their own lusts. Judgment. And now when they're in this judgment, if you remember, and just you can turn right back to Judges 13 for a moment. It says, again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines, chapter 13, verse 1, for 40 years. 
for 40 years. This wasn't just a year. This is 40 years. And how long will it take them to cry out unto God? Well, in the passage we're in, we're we're seeing here what was going on. They're going to actually take the Ark of the Covenant. For the first time ever, it's going to be brought into battle. Anywhere we read in Scripture, for the first time ever, it will be brought from Shiloh into battle, and it will never return to Shiloh again. We will never see the Ark go back to Shiloh again. And I believe that's what leads to Eli's death, as we're going to read it in the account in chapter 4. I believe he has a heart attack. Because it says he goes back, he's a very heavy man, and it says his neck breaks. But I believe his heart broke before his neck ever broke. Because he knew what his sons were doing. He knew the wickedness, and he didn't stop it. And he allowed that ark to go out into this battle instead of seeking the presence of God. You, you can turn back. So we see in this first battle that the Philistines defeat them, and it says, who killed about 4,000 men of the army of the field. That was in verse 2. 4,000 men died that day because no one was seeking God. They were presumptive. The Philistines are coming against us. We should attack them. Certainly God's with us. Have you ever had a thought like that, presumptively, that because you're a born-again believer, that everything you do, God must naturally be with you? Have you ever had that thought? I have. I've had those experiences. But that's, that's not certain. We always go to the Lord and ask for a scripture, for confirmation for things in our lives. We don't just assume upon God. We always seek the Lord in everything we do. And when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? You see, they knew. They knew what happened. Now, please notice that with me. Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, and when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. Do, do you see what they're doing here? They, they recognize that God himself was not with them. And they thought if they had the box there, the ark, that somehow that was going to... Does that sound superstitious to you? It sounds superstitious to me. We, we know people like that, that, that have superstitions, right? And, and we're, it's interesting, the Canaanites, how they respond to that superstition, because that was very well practiced in idolatry of that day, the pagan gods that the Canaanites and much of the Hittites and, you know, the ites, if I'll just say it that way, had been practicing. Even the Canaanites, they were very superstitious people. And so Israel, instead of being the light, they had begun doing what? They had begun to adopt some of the very superstitions and pagan practices of the surrounding nations. They had been compromised rather than being holy and set apart. And that can happen to any one of us. That can happen to any one of us if we're not on guard. So it says, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? They recognize that God is the one that gives victory. He's the one that always gives victory to you and I. He's he's our provider. He's the great I am. The very fact that you and I woke up today, praise Jesus, was because he breathed air into our lungs today. And he awoke us. And he put us on our feet or on our, in a wheelchair, or whatever the mechanism he uses, he moved us today. He sustains us. 
They knew that. I please, please underline that. This is not a matter of I didn't know God was there or didn't know God wasn't there. We read that in Romans chapter 1 and 2. Everyone has been given a measure of faith. Your conscience bears witness and creation testifies. There is no one that can say, I didn't know. Oh, no, we know. The sin is the rejection of God. That's the sin. And so they're going to take this Ark of the Covenant, this box that's interlaid with gold, where God uses as a representation of his presence physically dwelling among them. We know that God was not living in that box. God is the king of the universe. He reigns from the throne room of heaven. But his physical presence says, I will, I will be among my people. And so certainly he dwelt in his spirit. But God is omnipresent, isn't he? Did you ever think about that? Lucifer, a fallen angel, wanted to be God. But by his very nature of creation, could never have been. No sooner than a, a hammer says, I want to be a wrench. It doesn't work that way. He was a created being. God was eternal. Strike one. God is all-knowing, omniscient, omnipresent, all-powerful. Strike two. Lucifer is, can only be in one place at one time. You know, he, he's got a third of the angels that fell with him, but he's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know. That's why in every generation, he raises up an antichrist. Right? The Bible tells us antichrist, plural. There will come one day when there will be in the Great Tribulation the definite article, antichrist. But if you go back in your history, through every generation, we've been able to see a man or a woman, someone that was lifted up because even Satan himself doesn't know when the last day will be. And he always wants to be prepared. Strike two. And strike thing three. Seeing the very presence of God and rejecting God's magnificence, his authority, and his majesty. Israel turned around and would not acknowledge the sovereign God that would go out into battle with them. We read nowhere that that was happening. We've read many accounts up to this point, haven't we? We've been reading from Genesis line by line straight through. God would go out to battle. How many times with Joshua other than two times? Remember that in the book of Joshua? Two times he didn't go out to battle. I, remember that in your Bible written A-I, I? He presumed on God, right? He had in front of him the ark, right? But he didn't go back and pray and seek God. He assumed, remember? And then he went out and they were defeated. I, I'm, I'm drawing this attention to this scripturally and biblically. I'm, I'm going back through the biblical history, not to just remind us, but to, to point out the simple fact that every time we presume upon God, the same result or consequence can happen to us. We're no different than the Israelites. We're no different than God's uh, you know, people that way. We're his children. We're born-again believers. We, too, are capable, if we don't seek God, to wander off the path. The difference is if we do it with the right heart, God is so gracious that he will always redirect us gently. He doesn't look to thump us. He will redirect us back to that narrow path. 
because he is an all-loving, gracious God. But for 40 years, 40 years, Israel does not seek him that way. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim, that's the mercy seat there, the same word we get in the Septuagint, for atonement as reference in our New Testament for Jesus Christ. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were, with, were there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. So now we see the players. Eli's back at Shiloh. He's back where the Ark is. They've requested the Ark. The people have requested the Ark to be moved into the battlefront, okay, in this area that they have gathered. And Eli, we read nothing about him being asked or involved in this. We read that Hophnius and Phinehas, or Hophni and Phineas, excuse me, are taking it upon themselves to be respecters of the people rather than their priestly duty to be respecters of God. Where do you think they learned that from? This chapters have been so important for us as parents and grandparents. Where did they learn that it was okay to be a respecter of persons? Where is, is more caught than taught? From their dad, Eli. Because Eli was more worried about what his two boys thought than what God thought when he was allowing them to turn around and have sexual relations at the door of the tabernacle with women and to turn around and, and to steal the best choice piece of the fat of the meat that was to be a burnt offering unto the Lord. And Eli never stepped in and said, well, I hear that the people are doing this. Rather than saying, you're out of here. You're out of here. You've disgraced God. You've stolen from God. You're disqualified. He cared more about what his boys thought than what the living God thought. That by very definition is idolatry. And so these two boys left unchecked, they follow in their father's footsteps, listening to the people, being more concerned what the people want than what God desires. You think that still happens today, friends? You still think that happens in the church today? You think that happens with pastors today and board members and, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, please notice that with me. In many places, we'll see it say Ark, but in this particular area, we'll see, I think it's at least four times, at least, I think it's four times, we'll see the words Ark of the Covenant, just as a reminder what we're talking about here, a covenant relationship with God. That's what it's all about. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp. All Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. That, that idea in the Hebrew is also a tremor, that it, that, it, that it was like an earthquake, that it was like a tremor, that, that they were so happy that they were, yes, we have the box. Were they more interested in the box or were they more interested in God? The box. Were they more interested in their superstition? And their lucky rabbit's foot? Or were they more interested in the physical presence of God among them? That's right. 
Now, when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, please look at this. Very important that this is kept in the account of record for us by the Holy Spirit. What does the sound of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. Doesn't that make sense? Because the Philistines practice the pagan tradition. And so it's telling us that their ideology and their idea is that when you got the box, you must have God, because they worshiped idols. So for them, it's very natural. The box come, it's an idol. God must be there. Not realizing that it's a relationship because it's always been a relationship based on faith. It's not a different God. I've, I've talked to so many people over the years. Well, the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament. Nonsense. It's God. It's God. And it's always been a, by faith. Hebrews 11, right? I mean, it's so refreshing to, to know that our God is the Ancient of Days, and that he never, ever changes. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who deliver us from the hand of these, please pay attention to this and underline this in your Bible, mighty gods, plural. Because that all it was to them was another practice of paganism that they looked at as he the children of Israel would bring in this box, not drawing true worship from the one living God, but treating this as another pagan ritual. It's just another pagan ritual. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues of the wilderness. Somewhat 500 years, I think it's 400 years, 500 years has passed at this point. And they're still talking about the plagues in Egypt. You don't forget easily the miraculous of God. If you've had God personally do a work of miraculous, you know, a miracle in your life, you, you don't turn around and just forget it. Maybe, the God's heal, maybe God has healed you from cancer or from a disease. Every day you wake up, you know why you're here. God has a purpose for you. And there's no coincidence. That's been settled for you. I mean, I love when I get the opportunity to talk to somebody that's, that's had a, a disease that the Lord has healed, and they come forward, and they, 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 are, they understand. They, they often grow quite weepy when you talk about it because they're so moved in recognizing the hand of God on their life, the very real presence of God touching them. There's no mistaking it, the fingerprint of God. So they're attributing this, and they, they see this pagan, they keep referring to gods. We've heard of this. I think that's a good testimony, again, that we know this all to be true, recorded, not only historical, but theologically sound, that God did and it did accomplish through the plagues and through all those things, that even how many miles away, it was on the east, right, in Egypt, all the way on the way, that they have heard about this great movement and miraculous work of God, parting the Red Sea, even parting the Jordan, coming across, you know, delivering them out of bondage and slavery, all of the conquest of Jericho, continuing to move further and further west as he gave them victory after victory after victory in the battle. And so the point of where they inherited the land that they were supposed to occupy that he had given them. 
And then after they inherited the land, willingly they were surrendering it to the foreign nations because they were more enamored in their pagan idolatry and their pagan worship than they were the one true God. And if we're not careful, that's what's happened in the United States of America today. We're seeing people begin to worship another God. This country was founded in the United States of America. In God we trust. This country was founded by God for humanity. An example of when you put God at the center of a government, at the center of a civilization, the blessing that will befall you. We've had a rich history and blessing in this country. We really have. The, the, the peace, the comfort, the majesty we've had because of God. But we took the Bible out of schools. We took prayer out of schools. We began to tell God we, we don't need him. We have humanism now. We have technology. We can put a man on the moon. We can do anything. People have made themselves little gods. They even created a cult around it called Mormonism. Follow the logic to where that cult goes. They believe that they will inherit what? They're going to be gods and they're going to have their own little planets. And they're very much believers in kingdom now theology. They must usher the kingdom of God in. Jesus. Jesus, preeminent. He doesn't need anyone's help. He's God. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men. They were so afraid that they had to be reminded, hey, you're going to battle. Act like it. You Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Oh, that they have been to you. Was that God's plan and design? Did not God not give them the inheritance of the land that was going to flow with milk and honey? Did God not give them that as a gift? And did they not squander the very gift that God gave them because they took it for granted? They took God for granted. Hopefully you're, you're starting to pick up what I'm laying down about the days we're living and what's going on if we don't stand up for what's left of this country and what's left of Christianity in this country. We're not too far behind Europe, you understand that, which was once very much a Christian nation, countries. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent. There was a great slaughter and there fell Israel 30,000 foot soldiers because they put their their faith in a box, in a superstition, in something that wasn't God himself. Rather than falling on their knees and crying out to the God, need I remind every one of us here that they had heard, or their parents, and their parents' grandparents had heard the voice of God, that Moses was on the mountain with God, that the people were afraid to go up on the mountain because of the rumblings of God, There's no question of, for them, whether God existed. It's not like today where it's academic to enter into a conversation about the 
existence of God. There was no need for that. There was no need in the academy for that kind of rhetoric. They all knew, just as we all know today. But they thought, again, they could do it themselves. There was no king. Remember that in Judges? There was no king, speaking of Almighty God. So 30-foot soldiers, 30,000-foot soldiers, such an astronomical number, died. How many need to die in our country? How many of our men and women need to die? And so we'll cry out to God for help. So we humble ourselves. Judgment is coming. If you're not praying, please come out and join us. It's been amazing what God is doing on our Sunday night prayer. We have seen it literally triple. The amount of people that have been coming out for prayer, triple, quadruple. But I'm not going to be settled, nor will any of the pastors here, until every one of you are there. Because we need to come together and pray together. We need to seek Jesus together. Because we need, we need to be praying for our president. You all understand that. You know what's coming in November. You need to be praying for your president. There is evil among us. I don't care if you like the guy or not. Anybody that's willing to stand in righteousness for God, vote with your conscience of the Holy Spirit. But we need to stand up. You know I don't get political, guys. You know I don't get political. But I'm telling you, it's time. You need to stand up because if you hand over this country because each and every one of us gets a voice. We get a vote. I want you to think about our grandchildren and the land that they're going to inherit should the Lord tarry. The land that God has given us as an inheritance in this country for our children in a Judeo-Biblical foundation. And God, we trust. That's what's at stake do you under, you know, does everybody understand that? Also, the ark of God was captured. What was it doing there in the first place? And the ark of God was captured. The two sons of Eli and Hophni, two, you know, Hophni and Phinehas died just as given to Samuel. You remember that in chapter 3? Prophetically, also given to Eli. I read nowhere in my account where Eli repented and said, I have failed you, Lord. For the sake of my sons, Lord, judge me, but spare these boys, for they know not what they do. There was a complete collapse in the priesthood of moral certainty. I mean... I mentioned when we were in chapter 2, verses 31 through 36, do you remember that? We were talking about um, First Chronicles chapter 6 and the list that we see. If you can look there yourself right now, I encourage you to just turn there for a minute. Just as a reminder, I pray that there's not a history book that has a list like this of 
our country and presidents, men. First Chronicles 6, the sons of Levi were Gershon, Kohath, and Mirai. The sons of Kohath were Amram, Ezar, Hebron, Uziel. The children of Amram were Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. And the sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, two of them, who offered profane fire before the Lord and were judged. Eleazar and Ithamar. Ithamar would have been the tribe or the relation that Eli falls under. He's under Ithamar. The priest that will be named by David is going to be in the family of Eleazar. The priestly tribe is going to be handed back from Ithamar back to Eleazar where it once began. It began in the family of Eleazar, but because of the sin of Phineas failing to address the needs of Jephthah and his vow, Judges 11 and 12, and uh, the failure of Torah instruction, Judges chapter 19 through 21 in the battle of Gibeah, because he wasn't faithful to his calling to teach the word of God to the people, God removed that from him and gave it to Ithamar's family line, Eli. But now we see Eli failing to be faithful. And so what is God going to turn around and do? He's going to eventually give it back to that family line, to eventually the priest Zadok. And we're going to be reading about that soon, Zadok, right? He's going to be taking that through his line, through Eleazar. And you can look that in 2 Samuel chapter 8, verses 16 through 18, or 1 Kings um, chapter 2, verse 27. Verse 12, then a band of Benjamin ran from the battle line that same day. You know, they didn't have uh, uh, email or, or, you know, a courier that way, so to speak. They had runners back then. They would take them, and their job uh, with armament was to carry from the front lines back word how the battle was going. And they would be willing to risk their lives to carry that, even if it meant they had to go through enemy territory to get back around to where they were, you know, stationed that way. So then a man of Benjamin, talking about the tribe, ran from the battle line that same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. The idea behind that, you you understand what the dirt on the head means? It means it's, it's a mourning, sackcloth and ashes. It's mourning, torn, meaning describing the anguish of heart, the brokenness, not to mention actual battle. Now when he came, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside, watching. Do you remember we read already that he was not able to see so good? He's 98 years old. We're in verse 13, but if again you look just down to verse 15, you'll see he's 98 years old. So what Eli was really doing when it says he's watching is he's sitting there. He can't see, but he's taking it all in. He's waiting for word. He's waiting for confirmation. What's happening? What's going on? And certainly his boys are there, but I think he's also very concerned that the tabernacle, for the first time, has left Shiloh and went and brought into the battle. And he, he knows the consequences of that. He knows the, the stakes of that, that somebody getting the tabernacle of God that was given as a pattern to Moses For his heart trembled 
for the ark of God. Do you see it right there? Underline that. He knew the severity and the importance of this. That idea of trembling the heart, you know what that, that speaks about? You know, it, it's, it's a faint heart, a frightening. Uh, you feel your heart begin to beat quickly. That's what he's describing here. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man quickly came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Clearly not watching in the terms, but waiting. Taking it all in. You, you close your eyes sometimes, and you ever just, I don't know about you, sometimes in the morning, I like to, when I'm doing devotion, or I'm just, if I'm outside, or I, I even at night, I love to open the windows and just listen to the sounds outdoors. You know, the crickets, and the, it's very peaceful. The crickets sing me to sleep, you know, and then waking up with the birds singing of the Lord. I mean, I just think it's God's beautiful preparation for us to begin to go right into hymns and praise unto God. God has already birthed us to wake up and lie down that way in song. Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle. And I fled today from the battle line. And he said, what happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And there's been a great slaughter among the people. Also, notice how he began. Oh, and by the way, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they're dead. And the ark, the ark of God has been captured. Was that not told to Eli? Not the ark, but was it not told to Eli that his sons would be judged because of their disobedience and sin? This is heavy stuff. I want you to picture being Eli for a minute. Those are your boys. You love them. You love them. But if you really love them with God's perfect love, speak up. Speak up. Don't worry about protecting their feelings. Real love brings light to where there's darkness. Because the light will always conquer the darkness. Then it happened. When he made mention of the ark of God, notice that, please. It wasn't when he heard about his sons. It wasn't when he heard just about the death and what had happened to Israel because he knows he didn't seek the Lord for the battle. But the ark of the covenant, the ark of the what? The covenant, the covenant relationship and the peace that that represented, having that box, that that would be where God would dwell between the two cherubims, the mercy seat, the atoning seat, which is the translation we get in the Septuagint, the atoning work of God was just taken. He knew at that point the idolatry was set. The idolatry was set. And no one was seeking God. 
But there's one, isn't there? Twelve years old. A young man that is listening to God when he speaks. And he's going to stand in the gap. Even when one of the strongest men to ever be alive is so worried about his glorious, luxurious hair and his lust appetite for Delilah, there will be one that will stand with Jesus Christ, even if he has to stand alone. Well, Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken and he died. I believe the reason he fell back is if you have a heart attack or something like that, you fall back, you unconscious, I believe he was a very heavy man, the weight, he would have gone back, and of course, he would have snapped his neck. But, but again, before his neck was ever broken, his heart was broken. For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel 40 years. Ichabod. You know that term, Ichabod. Well, the daughter-in-law of Phineas is with child. She's about to have this baby. She just learns that her father has died. Father-in-law, excuse me, has died. Her husband has died. And now she's going to deliver this child near immediate. And even her heart is broken. And she's going to name him Ichabod. For the glory has departed. That's what it means. The glory has departed. Now his daughter-in-law, Phineas, his wife, was with child due to be delivered. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth. For her labor pains came upon her. And about that time, or about the time of her death, the woman who stood by her said, Do not fear, for you have born a son. In that time, that was a blessing. It meant the name would carry on for the husband that had just died. Remember the book of Ruth? The kinsman redeemer Boaz and the idea of the carrying on of the name and the cultural significance of what that was, inheritance of the land and everything that goes into that, it was significant. And so this, you know, woman looks to her and says, but you have a son, his name will carry on. Do not fear, for you have born a son. But she did not answer, nor did she regard it. At that point, she was brokenhearted. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel. Just think about that for a minute. God's chosen people, the inheritance that God had given them, the time he has spent with them, the investment in personal relationship like no other nation, no other people, to hear the voice of God, to see the miraculous movings of God as he's brought them into this promised land, this choice land, as he's gone before them day and night, sandals never wearing out, you know, jeans never wearing out. I don't know if they had jeans, but clothes never wearing out. You just think about that. And now the tabernacle's gone, and they reflect back on it. And this woman 
who what would normally be a joyous moment, having a child. She's so brokenhearted. She doesn't even care about the, the future of the name of the inheritance of that land. All she can think about is the glory of God has departed from us. You know, it's when we get that same heart and we have that same commitment to the glory of God in this country that we will see a great awakening, that we will see that movement of God and the Holy Spirit. I do believe we're starting to see the movings and the tremors of it. I've watched just in Sundays in the last few Sundays, we've seen so many new families, people coming in. It saddens me their churches are closing. All these things are happening. They're coming in because they want answers and hope. And they're coming in and they're hearing the word of God and they're just blessed. They don't care that, you know, we don't have any, a lot of our programs right now, we, we don't really have a lot of programs if I can say it that way, but we're, we're, we're just, we just love Jesus, right? We just love the word of God. So much so, I mean, the guys are running upstairs last week trying to bring more chairs in the cafe because they were running out of seating in second service. They're running down. We're like, okay, Lord, people are seeking God. They, they need help and hope. And, and God is our only hope, amen? God is our only hope. And people are coming out and they want that help. They want that encouragement. They want to know they're not alone. And I expect to see more of it more of it, more people turning to God, more people asking and praying to God, Lord, heal our land. I'm so interested to see how this election's going to go and the people that are going to come out. Because I don't think there's in any other time in history that you can see the cleared economy. Again, I said I don't get political, but, but please understand this is an important matter biblically. You cannot, you cannot hide the agenda of extreme groups and individuals that are practicing Marxist agendas, totalitarianism, and people that have come from Venezuela or communist country, people who have come from Cuba. My, you, you know my wife's family, they're Cuban. And you talk to the family in Florida, you talk to them. They, they, there's no, they're warning us. They're saying, we saw this with Castro. All the promises, all of the free stuff, the free education, the free everything. He says, it's a movement of tyranny because what happens is you will elect them. It's not through a dictatorship that they come in and demand control. You will fear and elect them to that position. And when you do that, that will be the end of liberty and God in your country because those are the two things they're after, liberty and God. Because where there's a God, there's some supreme or higher authority. And to totalitarianism or to a, you know, a, someone that's believing in that ideology, that's not okay. They must be the supreme. It's happening before us. Unlike other times that we've lived in our lives, we've never seen such a strong push of it. There, you know, I, I think I heard somebody say, you can follow the cookie trail. And you can't miss it. It's not even like a hidden agenda. It's like right before you. I mean, you just follow the trail. 
And so many Americans are asleep. Even Christians, well-meaning, God-fearing Christians are asleep. Because after all, we got the ark. As long as we got the box, what's going to ever happen to us? You tracking? Ichabod. That's what's going to happen to you. Ichabod. The glory of God departed. I don't want the glory of God to depart. And he doesn't have to. So make a decision. Make a choice. Get out there and vote with the Holy Spirit. That's what every American can do. That's the way we practice liberty in our, in our land. I, I'm asking you all to do that. It's important. I want you to do that. Vote with the Holy Spirit. Stand in the gap. Pray to God for revelation. Be Samuels. Pray to God for more Samuels. The Lord's continuing to add more to the school. We're going to have a, a third and fourth grade this year. We got confirmation of that already. God's added a, a third and fourth grade. I can't wait to see the Samuels that are going to stand out. The little guys, as they're going into first grade, they're coming up, and I can't wait to see them. They're going to come out. I love Jesus, and I'm going to stand with Jesus. That gets me really excited because that's the investment in that next generation. Some of us, we're getting old, man. They're coming, and if the Lord should tarry, they're coming. And God's raising Samuels up right here and now for this country, for this land, and for the people because Jesus loves his children. And then when there's one that will stand in the gap, when there's one that will listen, God will send his prophet. God will send his chosen and elect. It's a great time to be alive. The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark has been captured. We'll stop there tonight. Friends, I encourage you, be praying. Come out to corporate prayer on Sundays. Join us Sunday morning, Sunday. If you're hearing this, you're not part of a church, we welcome you. Come out. Hear the word of God. Be still and know. God is moving on our hearts. God desires revival. God's calling prodigals. And God wants each and every one of us to stand in the gap. Will you do that? Can we all do that together? Can we stand in the gap with our, our brothers and sisters? It's the body of Christ. It's not just Calvary Chapel here. It's the body of Christ. Can we do that together? Can we stand in the gap with our brothers and sisters and say, Jesus, you are number one. We live for you alone. Amen. Let's have our musicians come up. Let's stand. We'll have a closing. If you would like to stand, let's stand and have a closing prayer, and we'll praise our Lord Jesus Christ.
Jesus, Lord, I, I almost feel like breaking into him right now, Jesus, precious Jesus. In you we trust, Lord. We do pray for repentance, Lord. We pray for forgiveness for murder and abortion, Lord, and wickedness, moving away from your commandments and statutes. Forgive us for the, the removing of the Bibles from schools, Lord, and the prayer. And Lord Jesus, we invite you to be in the center of everything, God. Everything of this world, we invite you to be in the direct center of it because you alone are worthy. And we pray, Jesus, that you will move on hearts and minds, God, that people will begin to just be so in love and so desiring to read your word, to meet with you in private and quiet time preciously, to, to be interceding for brothers and sisters and for the lost and for those that are sick and need alms, Lord. Let me lift up our governor. Jesus, I don't know if he knows you. You will know them by their fruit. God, you be the judge. But I pray salvation. I pray that our state will turn to you, Jesus Christ, that our city will turn to you, that our homes, our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, Lord, as Samuels are rising up, Jesus, as you're rising in the hearts of your people, that we will declare our Redeemer lives and the glory of God will not depart from us today or ever, even if we are the only ones left, even if we remain and no other. So Jesus, give us strength, Lord. Pour out your gifts and your Holy Spirit upon us. Give us revelation, prophecy, Lord. The gifts of healing to be worked through the body that men and women will be healed. Raise up evangelists in all of us. Create divine appointments, Lord. We seek you, not a box. We seek you, not a pagan relic. We seek the one true living God. We love you, Jesus. God, be glorified and magnified. And we ask this in your will, in your name, Jesus Christ. Will you all sing with me?